your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You Mighty 
so much for this time of worship. We're so grateful that you love us and you give us peace and we just love you back. And Lord, I pray you would speak through Pastor Jeff this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I almost made it. I was wheeling as fast as I could. <laughs> we'll have to synchronize that next time better, huh? Boy, that ending was so dramatic. I just appreciated that. I, I, we've sung that song. We haven't sung that song in a while, but I love good worship. Microphone, Microphone not on. One of those. Oh, wow. Pop, pop, pop. Hello. Pastor Jeff speaks and the Lord answers with explosions. No, still no? I'm, I'm ready to retire. Is it? You guys know. Uh, uh, yeah. It's just, okay.
Oh my gosh. This is like grade school. I just want to thank everyone. And it's so great that you're actually here, that there's people here, right? Because that's been the hardest part about church so far is we have people in the house, people that I haven't seen in a while. It was great last week just seeing some people as they were coming around from parking their car and they're like, I get to see them and they get to see me. And I was like, slow motion matrix running. And it's not as exciting when you have masks on and you're hugging, you're like, and we sound like dogs a little bit, like with all that. And someone said, how are you doing? I pulled my mask down and I said, I got my shots. And literally, when I think about that, what we sound like with our masks on, dogs, and I told them that I just got my shots. I'm not really sure what I'm actually saying. Was there a problem with me before that I needed shots? Um, but I got my shots for you guys because I want to be able for you to hang out with me and not be worried. And so not only is everything kind of getting clearer in the world, um, but on behalf of all that, I just want to let you guys know that, you know, we're willing to do whatever it takes to see you. So it's been wonderful seeing you back in the building these last few weeks. And, you know, whether or not the mic works or doesn't work, I'm going get, to get up here this morning and give you the best that I can, which is uh, an incredible message. We are in the book of John, and today we are in chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 26. And what's awesome about this is this message, a lot of people, when they talk about the woman at the well, um, it's kind of just talking about the singularity of this message. But I've had two weeks to sit on this message, and two weeks, as Eric, Pastor Eric says, to marinate and let the message kind of set. And one thing has come absolutely clear to me is that we talk a lot in church about all the different things that Jesus does. Matter of fact, we teach in Sunday school about all the different things that Jesus does and God does. Things like um, Noah, right? Noah and the flood. That's a great story. We want to make sure our kids understand how powerful God is. It talks about justice. We talk about Adam and Eve. We talk about creation and what's God's role in creation. Jesus was there as part of creation. We talk about things like Easter where flannel graph Jesus rises from the dead and then slowly peels off the board and falls on the ground. If any of you are old enough for flannel graph, you remember that. But it's like, Jesus was strong enough to overcome everything except for staying on the board for those poor Sunday school teachers. But for me, the greatest Sunday school message that I remember and kind of identified with as a small kid was the Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan was like one of those great stories, and there's awesome little videos to play for your kids now, the Good Samaritan. This Jewish man's uh, going about his business. He's out in the desert, and he happens to be mugged. He happens to be taken advantage of and kind of left for dead there in the wilderness. And then some other Jewish people come by, and these aren't just any Jewish people. This is the Jewish leaders and the Jewish uh, Levite, a Levite, which is a person who had been working in the temple. And they have no interest in helping their fellow countrymen, their fellow brother, right? And they leave him there to kind of just whatever. And yet all of a sudden this individual comes by. And he's a Samaritan, which for those of you that don't understand the Samaritan situation, Pastor Eric's up next week with the next part of this passage where we're really going to dive deeper. And like, how bad was it to be a Samaritan 2,000 years ago? It was horrific, right? So just the name alone brought up like every horrible thought there was. And yet Jesus is telling this account of this Samaritan man who then stops. And not only does he have mercy on the individual, and show kindness to the individual, but he, he cares for him. And even provides a stipend to provide additional care for him. And as Jesus is telling that account of the Good Samaritan in Luke, he then finishes the account by saying, this is good and you should do these things. 
And the reason why that's so attractive to me is like, that's something as a kid, like you can do good. When you do good on behalf of God and when you go the extra mile, when you show kindness and when you show mercy, God respects that, God appreciates that and it shows our heart. But I gotta be honest with you, when I thought about that account in light of the account today, the woman at the well's got a bad rap, right? The woman at the well, I think we should actually retitle this message to living water, the evangelistic life of Jesus Christ and the greatest Samaritan, right? Because when I tell you what this woman does, when you know what this woman's been through, and yet you know how the story ends, my goodness, this is a biblical account that's worth taking your time to teach. And only one time in the Bible does Jesus give something, the commission, great. We've only been authorized to do one thing that Jesus said is great, and that's to go and make disciples, right? Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything that they should know about Christ. The Great Commission, that's even why we talk about the church, making disciples who love Christ, who love one another, right? Love their community. And so today, for me, someone who has an extreme heart for evangelism, I'm just so grateful I get the chance to share this passage with you. The Good Samaritan's not only a Good Samaritan, uh, he, he showed us some very kind things, but what we're gonna see in the woman at the well is she is a Great Samaritan. And one final thing before I pray and we get started. Jesus' concept of good and bad people, right? Bad people are def defined by the scripture 2,000 years ago as Samaritans. Anything and everything associated with them, the northern people, the Samaritans, bad, horrific, horrible, terrible. Yet Jesus, what we're going to find out in this message, not only renames them worthy of the cross, but specifically and wonderfully goes right towards them. And the people who were the religious leaders, right? The religious leaders, the people who were good, the Levites, the Pharisees. Jesus actually calls them what? Whitewashed tombs. So one thing I just want to remind you guys today, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to having the opportunity to speak God's word, be very careful about who you label bad people and people worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because the first thing that's even taught to me about this message is according to Jesus the bad people are the ones that he came to share his very life with. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity. And just every single time we get to open up your scripture and it gets the chance to speak. And I know that for me, something's always going to be happening behind the scenes. And so today, that just feels like that's their struggle. Somebody's out there watching. Somebody's listening. Maybe today, the realization of who Christ is and what he's been doing the entire time will be made perfectly clear to someone. I'm so grateful to have people back in the building that we get to relive that Hebrews 10 concept of not forsaking the gathering and that the body of Christ is rebuilding. I pray that you continue to strengthen everyone who's watching and listening to remind them, Father, that there's only a limited time for us to go and make disciples. I pray that the great commission that God has put on our heart today will be seen so perfectly clear in this wonderful encounter that you've allowed John to write down the great Samaritan, Father, I look forward to sharing this morning. We do it on your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So last week in chapter 3, it kind of started with the idea of this Nicodemus, once again a religious leader, having the desire to speak with God, but instead of Jesus, having the desire to speak with Jesus, rather than doing it in the daytime or being seen by other people, he chooses a different path. He wants to talk to him at night. And in the nighttime, nobody will notice, right? So that becomes kind of a common theme. Jesus meets him, and his evangelism to the religious people is he meets him where he's at, and he shares with them 
The, but the results of that meeting is confusion, right? We talked about, he's talking, he's a religious leader, he's an intelligent man, and when Jesus tells him he has to born again, he figuratively speaks practical. How can I be born again? And he tries to put it into a practical sense. It makes no difference in his life, and he does not have the ability to, ha to hear Christ in spirit and in truth, and Nicodemus walks away unchanged. In contrast to that, John continues with the rest of his account saying, hey, look, this was the way that it was. Jesus had come into the world as the light. And even though the light's shining on anyone and everyone that could possibly hear it, Jesus is going to shine his light on a lot of people. But a lot of people will end up hearing and not responding. And the problem with that is Jesus is the passage in, in chapter 3. Jesus' popularity begins to grow. The account says that more people are being baptized with Jesus than John. And it says, although Jesus isn't baptizing him, his disciples are. So what does Jesus do when his popularity is growing and people want him to stay? He leaves. That's another interesting concept about this passage. Jesus is never going to do what the population wants him to do. He's always going to be chasing down what his father wants him to do. So even though his popularity is rising in this particular situation, he's going to keep motoring on. Why? Because he has a great commission on his life as well. He wants to go find the people who will listen. And one thing that John says, those who do listen, those who do accept, they affirm. In other words, they act upon what they've heard. So that's a big key to your evangelism. When you share the word of God with someone and someone acts upon it, that's your affirmation for that individual that they have gained eternal life. People who hear the word of God and act upon it is an affirmation. And with that in mind, there's going to be many people that you will share the word of God with who will not respond. And like Jesus, you should not feel discomforted or thrown off by it, realizing that's simply just the way that it is. So turn with me to chapter 4. Let's read these first four verses. And uh, hopefully I can continue to see and we'll make progress. Here we go. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria, okay? There, Mark, I'm going to have Mark put up this slide for you, and I really wish I had a laser pointer. Um, this is probably one of the most loaded parts of the passage already, a lot of times we just read through stuff and we kind of brush through it. We don't realize something. When it says Jesus had to go, I want you to realize something. Is Jesus not the son of God? Does Jesus not have all power and authority? Is there really a time where Jesus has to do something? Interesting, right? I pondered that for two days and this is what I realized. There was a time where Jesus actually prayed in the garden. Remember the garden prayer? The burden of sin was so heavy as he was taking on the burden of the world. He prayed to his father, if it's possible for this cup to pass, then I pray that it would. But if not, not my will be done, but yours. That's huge. That's a huge insight to what's happened here. Because what, what this is actually saying is, it's not that Jesus doesn't have options. Options, you say? What kind of options? Boy, I wish I would have made that picture quite a bit bigger. Uh... That doesn't help. Well, maybe the people at home looking at the map, this will help. So if you look right there in the middle, the map where it says Judea. Judea equals south, okay? Judea equals south. Galilee equals north. So the lake on the very top of there, the sea of, sea of Galilee, that's north. So where Jesus is, right to the left of that other sea there, the Dead Sea, you see the city of Jerusalem is dead square in the middle of the map. Although I don't know if you guys can actually see that. Merv, it's really good you moved up close. Um, 
There's three beautiful little paths from where he's at. Jerusalem is the center point of three freeways, three corridors. If he goes left, he heads right to the beach city of Lydia. And from Lydia, he can go straight up the beautiful coast PCH to Caesarea. Now, he had options. I'm, I'm a beach person. You're a beach person. Some of us are even dressed accordingly beach people. Why wouldn't you go left to the beach? He's going to do ministry in Caesarea eventually. Why not go left? It says he has no choice. No, he has a choice. He could go left. Or he could go right. If you look at Jerusalem and you look to the right there, there's a little town called Jericho, perfectly off at a dead 90. From Jericho, you go north and you come in right at the base of the Sea of Galilee. And it's also a wonderful path. And by the way, any devout Jew only went right. From Jerusalem, you only went right to Jericho. You never went left or straight. You only went through Jericho to avoid. To avoid what? Samaria. I'm telling you, it's not just bad, folks. It's not just Dodgers and San Francisco, SoCal and NoCal. It's bad. It's just, it is general disdain at the highest level for both sides. But look where Jesus chooses. From Jerusalem, he has no choice to go where? Straight ahead. And you see the first city, although you can't, I put a map bar in there so you can actually see, about 20 miles in straight up the road is the town of Sychar. Straight up the road. Now, here's the fun part about the Bible. If you guys enjoy the Bible the way that I enjoy the Bible, be like a Berean. Spend the time to look at a story like this and realize when it says it, it's real. You can actually go to the well that we're going to talk about today. You could go to Jacob's well. So this account is so personal to me because I feel like I'm going to the map and I'm realizing that Jesus is south. He's, he's below Judea. He's coming into Jerusalem and he has massive options, left, right, and straight. But the scripture tells us something and when it tells us something, it's a great insight because what it tells us is he always did the Father's will. Always. That's what the garden prayer establishes. Like Jesus had options. Lord, if it's possible to take this cup, then take it. But if not, not my will, ever. Your will be done. And I feel like Jesus is actually hearing that. Okay, I know you got options, but I need you to go straight. Why is that so important? Because a lot of us feel like we don't know nothing about God. Right? The Bible tells us a lot about Jesus, but it's, sometimes it's hard to make the jump between the Trinity for people about who, who God actually is. Man, this is insight behind the veil Beside what the Father's actually thinking. Because if the Father's will is that Jesus goes for it, then whatever we're about to read today is the result of what? The Father's will. The Father wants this to happen. The Father has divinely set this day in motion. And I get fired up with stuff like that. I get fired up when I think about how much God actually cares that he tells his son, you have to go. Okay? You have to go to the unclean, unloved defiling, false God-worshipping, bad people, you have to go to them. Why? Because they're my children, and they need, to hear my, they need to hear my voice. So off he goes, straight ahead from Jerusalem, headings pure north, and as you can see right there, about 20-plus miles down the road, the first town he's going to come to is Sychor. Sychor, whatever name makes you happy, the reality is it's a real town on a real map and a real spot. And if you walk from Jerusalem dead north, that's where you're going to hit. And he walks to it. 
and he lands, and he goes to the very first place that anyone else would go to, the watering hole. Right? Now, here's something about us today. 7-Eleven is probably as good as we got for a watering hole, right? That's not the way it worked 2,000 years ago. A well was the central point of all roads and all town. Wherever a well was, people were. The story about this woman that we're going to hear today is it's not that she didn't have a well in her own town. What we're going to find out was she had a well in her own town. She goes to a well in another town. Why? Because in the middle of the day, probably should be nobody there. But for Jesus, as he's walking up that path, he only has one destination. He only has one thing. And it says he's going to start at 6 in the morning and get there at midday. Right? The Hebrew clock, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. 6 in the afternoon, 12 in the afternoon would be midday. And he walks straight to that well and does what? Has a conversation with someone who's there. If that's not a divine appointment, then I don't know what is. Everything that transpires about this is simple. The woman who could not even go to her own well in the middle of the day, it says something about her character. Her situation was if she goes to the well where everyone hangs out, then being an undesirable or whatever her social situation is, she doesn't have righteousness enough to go to her own well. She's willing to make the walk from her own town to this well to avoid all that, even at the middle of the day. I love what Romans says, that there is none righteous, not one. And so for me, one of the things I started to realize is how much... I watch some other sermons. I like to listen to other people talk about it. How much so many other messages about this are about the woman and her poor character. Church, let me tell you something. Every single person in this room is a person of poor character. Don't lose the point of this story. The story is not about poor character. None of us have good character. It's about who Jesus is and how his character comes to your character wherever you are. And he brings something to you that you don't have. Living water. Now, you all have this passage in your mind, and some of us have the little picture on our wall of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. But let me just reread that for you really quick to get a picture of what's happening here. Behold, John says, John wrote this in Revelation 3.20 about Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm going to add this. I knock, right? It, it just says knock. I said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus knocks. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So in rereading that passage, in the light of what we're about to study, who's doing the heavy carrying when it comes to evangelism? See, a lot of people I know, Pastor Jeff, you know, you're gifted at evangelism. You love evangelism. Evangelism is you. Evangelism, not me. Folks, no, I totally thank you for that, whatever, but let's just clarify something. Who stands, who knocks, and who speaks? So what is your role? Just being available, right? Just being available. This is the work of the Spirit of God. This is what he does, and he's very good at it. And not everyone's going to respond, but it is his work. Our work is to hide behind the door of the houses that we've built and hope that he goes away. Because for most of us, that's what it comes down to. He continues to knock, he continues to speak, and we know where he's at, but the greatest struggle is simply to open the door and invite him in. Which brings me to this first point of this encounter by the well. Jesus pursues us. Jesus pursues us. We are not pursuing him. 
I was, I remember a kid, I love, I'm, I'm just old enough now at 55 to think that I've been around forever, but I remember the song that we used to sing when we were kids, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Oh, How I Love Jesus. We could sing it over again. Oh, How I Love Jesus. It's like we forgot something about the song. There's actual theology to the song. Oh, How I Love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. Folks, don't forget the song. Don't forget what you know to be true about Jesus because everything about this message today, everything about evangelism that the word of God is speaking to us has already been said. There's nothing new. No pastor is going to share with you any new insight. There's nothing new under the sun. It's been here the whole time. You've been singing it since you were a kid and he's been knocking since you were a kid. The question is, will you open the door? Jesus pursues. Why? Because Jesus loves unconditionally. Right? You couldn't even love anything, a dog, a cat, an animal, your brother, your sister, your wife. You could not love unless you know Christ. Because you're loving at a different capacity than what he's loving you at. To know unconditional love is to know the Father. There's no way that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords doesn't have options. He has options. But what he's saying is, I have living water. If you will just open the door, I'm going to bring something to the table that's not even available to you. And we got to keep reading to find out what happens. So he starts walking. And he came to a town. Let's start with verses 5 through 8. And he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. On the map, it makes perfect sense. Near the plot of ground of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. For Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It's about noon. I say he's tired. I've walked to church every once in a while to get in shape. It's about seven miles. It takes me about two hours. This is a good 20-mile-plus walk. He's tired. Is he thirsty? Uh, I'm going to tell you something. He's thirsty. And when he gets to the well, there's a small problem. He doesn't have this tool that's required to get water, a bucket. Right? He's not walking with a bucket, he's walking. It's the middle of the day, and he's not looking to take a sip of water, he's looking to satisfy his thirst. And the verse 7 says this, when all of a sudden, interesting how the Lord works, all of a sudden a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Huh, so this whole scenario happens, he has all kinds of different options, and now in the middle of the day, when he's extremely tired, extremely hot, extremely thirsty, he happens to be sitting by the well, when a Samaritan woman who can't even go get water in her own town shows up, and guess what she has in her hand? A bucket. I'm going to tell you something about this encounter, a couple of different things. According to Jewish rabbinical law, to be seen with a woman by yourself in the middle of the day, publicly, death for you. Your, your ministry, your integrity, everything would be over. To be publicly seen with a woman of Samaria at the middle of the day, you're all done, right? Jesus not only goes that far, but remember, there's only one bucket between the two of them, right? This is not red solo cup uh, world that we're living in where she has fishing line and she drops down a red solo cup for him and six feet he drinks. It's not like that. It's a hand-carved small bucket that she drops. She has to drop it down the well and bring it back up. And they are drinking from this bucket together. It just adds some intimacy to me that tells me something about who Jesus is and what he does. 
There's no other place for him to get water. There's nowhere else to go. And he already realizes as a rabbi, this is death. But he's saying something to the woman before he says something to the woman that says something to the woman. You matter. Because she knows already, you're a Jew. Now I'm a Samaritan. And this ain't supposed to be happening. And what does Jesus say? Will you give me a drink? How simple is the Lord's call to us? How simple is the, the thought that the evangelism of the Spirit of God is something that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open it, folks, we're overdoing evangelism. They, their job is not to try to figure out the Trinity today. Some of us have been working on the Trinity for 35, 40 years, and it's still a struggle. That doesn't mean it's any less true. They need to understand one thing. There's someone at the door claiming to be Jesus Christ, and they need to open it or close it because that's a decision. Will you or will you not give me water? And verse 9 says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They don't, they don't talk. They don't speak. They don't hang out. And they don't share a bucket of water together. Does Jesus ever seem to be concerned about norms? Like what the traditional value of anyone. Jesus did more for women. Jesus did more for human beings than any person has ever done. And what Jesus establishes, the value of a human being. I love that the Bible says a man, but it's, it's really, uh, Pastor Eric mentioned the word anthropos, a human being. Jesus values human beings more than anything else in, in his entire creation. And his willingness to meet someone as is, where is, at the well, in the middle of the day, is so significant, but I couldn't help but think of this. Jesus is not only pursuing her, but the next point is he's providing for her. He's not just giving her water. He's providing something to her. What is he providing? His righteousness. Remember when I said she doesn't feel worthy to drink water in her own town? Her own righteousness, her own perceived righteousness in her own town means I got to go be somewhere where no one can know me. And Jesus, a Jew who's not supposed to be seen with her publicly, he's speaking to her. He's talking to her. He's providing his righteousness to her before she even understands anything. And her mind is, verse 9, this does not make sense. Think about this. Compare these two. Nicodemus was a Jew. He was a religious leader. And he was named Nicodemus. He came at night and he was confused and he heard Jesus speak and nothing happened and we don't hear of him ever again. Now, the Samaritan woman is unnamed. She's a woman. It's midday. She's an outcast in her own people, of her own people. And yet she is going to sit here and play spiritual tennis with the Lord and go back and forth and back and forth to one avail. She has to make a decision. Remember I told you John wrote this book for a reason? Every time we study the book of John, remember, there's a reason why we recommend John as any other book in the Bible to read the first book of the Bible. If you're out there listening and you want to know where you should start, you start in the book of John. Why? Because it's an appeal to you to provide information, testimonies, eyewitnesses, and accounts of the scripture of God so that you can make a decision about Jesus. The difference between the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus is she made a decision. And we're going to see in a minute what happens. 
Any encounter with the risen Lord, any encounter with Jesus will always result in a decision. Jesus records uh, another thing that's interesting about this. If you, if you kind of go back and study this, in the book of John, the way I read this, John records more about this conversation than any other evangelistic encounter in John's book for Jesus. So Jesus is spending time with her. And as we continue to read, we watch this encounter and, uh, continue, uh, verses 10 through 15. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She responds, sir, you have nothing to draw water from. Remember, he's walking. He's not, he has no bucket, nothing to carry. And the well is deep, according to what I can read, about 100 feet. It's very practical, right? Where can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and also his livestock? Now, that sounds a little bit sarcastic. That sounds a little bit like she's deflecting, and it exactly is that. She is going to use this same pattern for the rest of her conversation. She's going to be, you serve, I serve, you serve, I serve. He's going to say something she doesn't understand. It's always practical. Keep this in mind. When you're, when you're, sharing, the God, when you're sharing the Gospels with someone, their response to you is always going to be to fall back to what they understand. Do, do not be discouraged by it. That's a natural response, like Nicodemus. How can I be born again, right? He falls back to practical. But what we're not talking about here is we're talking about spiritual things, right? He's not talking about practical water. He's talking about spiritual water. Jesus answered and said, but everyone who drinks of this water, this, this water here will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of this water, I give them, they will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling to eternal life. Now, living water means something different to them than it does to us. Living water to them means something practical. 2,000 years ago, the difference between dead water and living water is water that moves is alive. Thus, the sea that doesn't move is dead. Thus, the dead sea. Okay? She knows the entire area. She knows the kind of area of Shechem where they're at. There's no streams around her. So not only is she practical... But she actually has this understanding of her situation and scenario. And she goes, excuse me, sir, there's no moving water. There's no living water around us. What are you talking about? Falling back to what? Practical. She doesn't understand. And so she's going to say the things that make sense to her. Somehow she realizes, though, that he's talking about something different. So she, she jumps in. She goes, okay, give me this water. One, so I won't get thirsty. And two, I don't have to keep coming here to get water, right? That's a great practical response. One, I don't want to be thirsty and have to deal with this every day. And two, this is a long journey from my hometown and all the end of, you know, the stuff that I have to deal with. Just give this to me. By the way, Jesus doesn't want you to respond like that. That's not, that's not ever going to work. If your response to Jesus is give me, you're not in the right frame of mind. So how does Jesus respond to her when she says give me? Eh. That's what we used to hear. Wrong answer. So watch how this turns because Jesus is saying, oh, you want to play the practical game, huh? You want to fall back to practical? I'm, try I'm trying to talk about spiritual. Verses 16 through 19. Okay, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Huh, Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have 
is not your husband. She responds, what you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Now, let me just ask you something. Does that mean all of her husband's what happens if her husband's died? What happens if she was the kind of person that just had unluck and she, she married and they died, right? Is, it, is there a possibility that we're, she's just a bad woman and a woman of the night? Or we, like we put all the onus, like I said in the beginning, on her righteousness. That doesn't say any of that. That just says to me, maybe she's a woman who's had bad luck. And so she's just given up on marriage after four people dying or five people dying. She's just like, whatever, I'm just going to go through the motion. I don't know what the situation is, and I don't want to get caught up in that because it's not about her righteousness. He already gave her righteousness when he started talking to her. He gave her his righteousness when he started drinking from the bucket with her. He gave her his righteousness when he said, I know you're a Samaritan, but I'm going to speak and acknowledge you. He's going deeper. And when he dives down in deeper, what happens is it's like it's cutting to the quick of her heart, right? She, she can't run anymore. She can't hide from this. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. She's realizing something. This is my third point about this. He pursues us. He provides for us his righteousness. And the third point is he's so patient with us. Some of us, I mean, some of us, the Lord had to knock for years and years. There are some amazing testimonies in this church, including people that were saved late into their 30s and 40s in life. That's a long time to stand at someone's door and knock. Right? I don't know about you. Like, I knock on someone's door and see if they're home two minutes, three minutes, and I'm, poof, I'm gone. Think about how much he pursues you. Think about how much he cares. Think about the patience that God has instilled in his son to pursue us. And continue to share with us. The Samaritan woman realizes something. Everything she's done has been fraudulent. And at every single time she tries to deflect that, he simply walks her back to it and re-explains it to her again. She wants to find some kind of smokescreen to religiously baffle him and, and make the situation go away. And Jesus lets the smoke clear and he addresses her again and gives her the truth. She's running out of options, folks. By the time we get to this next passage, she's digging deep. And so she goes for this one. Okay. Our ancestors worshipped in the mountains, right? They're northern people. Sumerians are northern people. Judeans are southern people. So she's trying to go for an actual practical, an actual description, north and south. But you Jews claim that the first, but the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem, which is south. Okay, it sounds pretty cut and dry. This makes sense. So we're, we're used to worshiping up here, and you guys say we need to worship down here. Where should we worship? Oh, lady, you're in big trouble. Folks, let me tell you something. If you're going to play tennis with someone spiritually, don't pick the spirit of God. He's not going to be baffled by your, you know, follow the coin, you know. He doesn't give up. The smoke and mirrors, sooner or later, it's all going to stop. And it's heaping hot coals on your head that simply says one thing. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And John says, make a decision and open the door. That's it. Jesus replied, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you must worship the Father on the when you will not worship the Father, excuse me, on the mountain, or, nor in Jerusalem. And you Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has actually now come, that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. True worship is both. True worship is not a location. Right? Pastor Eric, famous phrase, um, the church is not a building. Totally understand that. Right? So wherever you are, as a follower of Christ, who is with you? The Holy Spirit. Jesus, yes, you can say Jesus God, but the Holy Spirit. He says the paraclete, the one who walks alongside you. The Spirit of God is with you. Which means, based on what Scripture says, where two or more are gathered, what? He is there. I always hear people say that. It's like they need the affirmation of their other brother or sister with them to say like, hey, will you come pray with me so two or more can be gathered? Catch this again. Me plus the Spirit of God equals mobile church. You are the church. Mobile. When you roll into your 7-Eleven, Starbucks, grocery store, neighborhood, blah, 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 blah. When you roll in there and begin to speak the name of Jesus in an effort to make disciples, you are the church. The righteousness that you portray is not your own. For you and me, like the woman at the well, have no righteousness. But that righteousness that has been imparted to us from who? From our Lord and Savior. And the woman says, this is, she's, she's in trouble now. I know the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he does come, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Mic drop. Right, right, right there at the well, you could have just heard a pin drop. I am he. For all the things that Jesus does, pursuing, providing, patience, Jesus only requires one thing from us, guys. Only one thing. Open the door. Right? It's not like Jesus can't, you know, oh, yeah, and kick the door down and, you know, summon angels and do whatever. It doesn't work like that. Different God, different scenario. I don't know what you're talking about. Different, not him. His way is different than our way. Scripture says that. Literally, my ways are not your ways. Nor are your thoughts my thoughts the same. Mine are different. I'm standing at the door and I'm talking. You must make a decision. I tell you what, Pastor, I can make a decision on the things that I see. That's as far as I can meet you today. I have a scripture for you that's very painful from John. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. I don't have to be creative for you. I don't, the reason why it takes me two weeks is not because it takes me two weeks. is because there's so much bouncing around in my head. There's so much scripture in there. It takes two weeks for the Lord to try to process all to tell you. It's already been written. It's already been said. A lot of you have already heard it. You just need to act upon it. 
If you would act upon it, it doesn't matter whether you're a woman at the middle of the well, a man at the well, it doesn't matter where you are, your lack of righteousness should not stop you from coming to the cross. He gives that to you. Righteous people do righteous things. And that's to me with the difference between the good Samaritan and why we need to start teaching this, the great Samaritan. I think it's great that we teach about a guy who did the right thing. But shouldn't we already be doing the right thing? Why is that something we need to teach? Why isn't that just a status quo? What do we need to be teaching is someone who didn't do the right thing, who was an outcast in her own society, when she had the chance and she heard the name of Christ and she responded. Don't take credit for the righteous things you do, guys. The righteous things you do are simply a reflection of God's righteousness in you. Remember Pastor Eric said this last week? I love, I'm listening to Pastor Eric. I hope you guys have been listening. His messages have been great. Last week, the premise of last week, it's never been about who? Us. Stop trying to write yourself into the equation of time, space, and eternity. It's never been about us. It's always been about him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he invites us into that story. As is. With all your imperfections. All your insecurities. Even that you have to go to another well in the middle of the day. He waits for you at that well and says, let's drink. Together. Not separately. Together. And let's share in something that really matters. Living water. Because the stuff I'm giving you guys is going to not make a difference for today or tomorrow, but for eternity. I am he. You decide. Right? Who was the guy who said that? C.S. Lewis, liar, lunatic, or lord? I don't need to recreate something more clever than that. That works. What is he? Pick one. Because if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Lack of a decision is a decision. And it still will result in one thing, that you will be outside of the mercy of God. He provides a lot of things. Grace, mercy, kindness, he provides all those. But go back to the first story that we taught in Sunday school. When it comes to the flood, what does it also tell us about who our father is? He's just He's 100% just too. And if he says it, it's going to happen. Whether you want it to or not has no bearing on the fact that if he said it, it's going to happen. So understand that. He is just. And there will be a reckoning for not making a decision. She ultimately has one response. Do you believe I am who I said I am? And her response tells us everything. Her response is to take the one thing that she had in her hand. Remember, she came there for one reason, to get water. And the scripture says she left her bucket and slowly walked back home. No, it doesn't say that. She left her bucket and sprinted like the Matrix run home is what she did. And when you come back next week and you hear Pastor Eric's and the rest of the story is, I want to tell you something, that the greatest Samaritan 
is now running full speed if that map was actually viable and you could look at it and see what I'm talking about. That woman is running from Sychor, the well at Joseph's well, full-blown back to her hometown. Because something just happened to her. She just experienced the living God. And remember, if, you, if something happens and you make that profession of faith, then action follows. Be cautious about people who say they believe and no action follows. Righteous people do righteous things. Thank you, Newport Police Department, for that. Righteous people do righteous things. We don't need to tell stories about it. That's the way it should be. You should be acting righteous. You should be acting kind. You should be acting loving. There's no reward for that. that your reward is salvation. Now you act appropriately. And that woman leaves her bucket. Dear Lila, I don't know why bucket. I got a hole in my bucket. Dear Lila. That lady leaves her bucket and goes. I want to tell you. Eric's message next week is exciting because you know what? If you think that woman came back with a new reputation and a, a new sense of ownership and everyone just, man, you guys, are, you've got to be here next week. I'm trying to help you, Eric. You've got to be here next week because as good as it gets sometimes when we come to faith and we're like, oh, God's just going to turn everything around and I'm just going to go there. Mm-mm. She's still got to work. But the result is, I'm going to give you a little, just, the results, thousands, not 100s, not 10, 12, or 13 thousands of her countrymen come to faith. She is the greatest Samaritan because she took that little teeny faith, mustard seed of faith that he gave her at the well and she planted it in fertile soil and God multiplied it exponentially. And that's who our God is. And that's why evangelism is so exciting. You don't know today the person that you're going to share Christ with is going to drop their bucket and run. Who are they going to run to? They're going to run to their people. They're going to run to their oikos. They're going to run to their tribe. They're going to run to their sphere of influence. And perhaps, unlike Nicodemus, who the rest of the story is, we have no idea. The unnamed Samaritan woman goes down in history, as far as I'm concerned, as the godliest first convert of Jesus' ministry got to evangelize guys you guys have got to realize the limited time offer you have to share the good news that jesus christ is the way the truth and the life i'm not saying it he said it he says i am he deal with it open the door or leave it closed because you will be held accountable for that decision i'm gonna have the band come back up and i'm going to pray and i thank you all for taking the time with me this morning to listen to this account. Father God, we come before you this morning as a Samaritan woman did in front of your son some 2,000 years ago. And we so often want to deflect everything and, and rebound everything and kind of just spiritual tennis and just kind of, you know, I don't, I don't think so. How about this? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. And you're so patient with us. Your spirit is so truthful. And it helps us walk through the practical. It helps us move through all these different situations and scenarios to get to the heart of the matter. And what's the heart of the matter? That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father without him. 
Father, I pray that this morning as people are watching, listening, and even those people in the room, if, if there's something about faith that they've kind of minimalized that today they would realize by opening the door and inviting you in that we have the dudamas, the power of God, the dynamic power of the Spirit of God in our hearts, in our lives to knock down the walls that hold people back from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. May everything we continue to say and do bring honor and glory to and through your amazing Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for the way that you love us.
that you love us, how you love us. Thank you for the
good that actually is. Man, I hope you can encourage yourself next week with the Word of God, and I hope next week you will come join us. We've got, we got a seat for you. we got room for you. God's Word is good. Keep reading, keep studying, and go be the church today, and go make some new disciples of Christ. God bless you guys. We'll see you all next week.